Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times Books podcast. And I'm in conversation today with Natalie Watson, one of our freelance contributors. And we're going to be talking about the book we've chosen as this month's book club title. And this book is called The Mercies by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. It came out in 2020 and the writer is an award-winning poet and playwright and very well known for her children's books. But this is her first book for adults. And it was a Sunday Times bestseller. It won a Betty Trask Award and was named among the New York Times 100 Most Notable Books of 2020. Natalie, perhaps you could start by just telling us a little bit about the story of The Mercies, because it's inspired by real life, isn't it? It is. It's um, set in 17th century Norway, and we're in two places, or um, first of all, in uh, the very north of Norway, in um, a part of the country called Finnmark, which is near the entrance of the Barents Sea. So we're on the shipping route north, but it's in the 17th century, pretty much still uncharted territory, which doesn't mean that there aren't people who live there. Um, and we're in the village, village on the island of Vado, which is a community of people who basically live by fishing and making use of the land and of anything they can find. And one Christmas Eve night, nearly all the adult men of the village um, are taken away um, and are killed in a storm. So the women are on their own and have to somehow keep on living and making a living for themselves and their children. And we basically see the story of this unfolding um, through the eyes of Maren, who's one of the women of the village who was about to be married and her husband has been killed in the storm. Um, she's left with her mother um, and also her sister-in-law, Dina, who uh, is a Sami woman. Um, the Sami are semi-itinerant people um, who also live in this land and but um, have a very strong understanding that they live on the land but they don't possess it. And that is, is very important. They also adhere to basically what I think we would call folk religion, what some people would call witchcraft, and that becomes a very important theme in the book. The second strand is the life of Ursa, who is the um, second male character, who's the daughter of a ship owner much, much further south in Bergen, um, which is one of the big cities or bigger cities in Norway, um, of a big port and her father is a ship owner ship owner who has fallen on hard times has made some bad decisions mainly after uh, the death of his wife and is left with two uh, little girls one of whom is ill that's also her sister Agneta and uh, one day he meets a um, Scotsman in the harbour who has been given um, a commission to uh, move to the very north of Norway and become a commissioner. This is um, Absalom Cornet, um, and he uh, has already decided that it would be good if he had a Norwegian wife to make uh, to find it easier to make contact with the people of Vardø. So basically, also has promised him in marriage, and a passage is arranged. So Orsa and her husband Absalom um, move to the north of Norway to Vardø, and they arrive there by ship. Um, there's 
also the middle part of um, the novel describes the journey up north, but it's a life for which also has not prepared. Um, and then the two stories come together and um, Ursa is basically helpless in this house. She just doesn't know where to start, how to run a house, house how to make bread. She's completely unprepared for the climate. And she then asks Maren to help her to become a better housekeeper. And of course, a bond and a friendship develops between these two women who are very different, but actually have a very interestingly similar perception of the world as they know it. And then the other strand that comes in is witchcraft or, or the suspicion of witchcraft among both the Sami people, but also the Norwegians, the um, native people of Bardo, uh, who of course have to bury their dead and do this by various practices. And uh, the envoy of the king, the lensman, who is controlling the area and who puts his commissioners in place, um, has already got a reputation for being ruthless about the, the persecution of witchcraft and people are beginning to die or be, are being put on trial and then die and that eventually also hits the village of, of Vardo. So before we get into any more detail about the story or the characters, yeah. which I want to talk about, let's talk about the setting um, I'm, I don't know. Have you ever travelled to that part of the yes. world? Ah, so yes. have you been? Have you been to this particular island? Uh, no, I haven't. But I've travelled a fair bit in the north of Norway, right. and of course, the north of Norway as we see it now. Um, yes, there's a lot of empty space. There are very few trees, uh, and I think one of the things that um, Colonel Wood Hargrave does very well is to describe uh, just how sparse. The landscape is and how you basically have to make use of everything you can find if you um, slaughter fish you have to use not not just eat the um, flesh um, but you have to make use of the bones so they can become become needles yes. so it's very beautiful very sparse with long winters um, very short but um, light summers um, and there are some small settlements, cities like Alta and Kirkenes, uh, which I mentioned in, yes. in the novel, and they do some trading with, with those as well. But it's also very much still uncharted mm. territory, only the toughest and the hardest uh, go there. I mean, in the story about the voyage north from Bergen to, to Vardo, uh, Ursa makes friends with one of the boys on the ship um, and he's eventually let go because he's not quite tough enough for whaling um, in, uh, you know, near Spitsbergen. But uh, there's also uh, the story that the Lensman, um, the, the king's envoy in, in the area, uh, has actually made his name by driving the pirates off Spitsbergen. So we're um, in a very bleak Landscape and yet also obviously strategically important for uh, the emerging yes. trade. And, and I thought it was very very evocative. I don't know that part of the world, but I yeah. felt I felt cold reading it. Yes. And the violence of the weather, and yeah. this is of course crucial to the plot. This storm comes out of nowhere. Yes, so it seems, and so one interpretation 
becomes that the women must have summoned this storm somehow. Yeah, one woman um, in particular. Yes, but the mm. idea of them being very, very much at the mercy of the weather and the thought of living like that, and at a time, again, without any electricity or any yeah. of the modern comforts, it is a very, very tough world, isn't it? It's, yeah. You know, it's bleak. Um, and it also feeds into this whole idea, um, it's quite a popular literary trope, isn't it? What happens if people are on an island? Yes. Um, there's, I felt that, I don't know if you felt there were echoes of other island stories. Uh, yes, very much so. And um, what would it mean for them to leave? Are they actually able to to live anywhere else? And obviously Marin has the opportunity later on to leave and just can't. And she's almost tied to this island, you know, this island and living there. And that way of living is her destiny. Yes. Mm. And, and so the sort of two main things the women are accused of that is so... Um, is thought... The narrative becomes that it's very shocking. Is one is that they somehow summoned the storm, yes. and that that feeds into this pagan um, beliefs that they have because they express. Um, they, there's this really very graphic, but very convincing um, narrative where all the body the bodies can't be buried. These you know these yeah. sailors who get washed up, the men from the village, they can't be buried because the ground is too hard. So they get sort of stacked in these uh, fish houses, these mm. sort of barns. And then buried in the spring, and yeah. and some people in the community express their grief in different ways, and this and bring runes or offerings um, from kind of an older faith. So one is the whole sort of religious aspect, and the other is simply because they behave like men. They eventually realise they're going to starve, and a group of them says, "No, we this you know it's starvation, or we go fishing." Yeah. And we, the women, haven't done this before, and they go fishing. And one of them, very shockingly, in order to go fishing, she wears trousers because, you know, anything else is, is, is clearly absurd. And these are the things that are that are held against the women. And I just wondered, with your perspective um, as a historian, did you find that a convincing? Did you find that that that, that would, be, would have been so shocking at the time? It certainly would have been at the time, but what it reminded me very often, uh, very much of was uh, some passages from Leviticus and from the Old Testament law, where um, the boundaries for, for any, especially any small society, to function, those boundaries within society have to be set very clearly, um, and uh, that of course starts with gender boundaries. Um, what is men's work and what is women's work. I think it becomes clear very early on, and that may well be a 21st century imposition on the story, that the women can actually function quite well yeah. without the men, and presumably are quite used to this, that the men are away for long stretches of time and they can actually run the community um, without the men, but the men have their function and their role uh, in, in terms of going fishing. And uh, so, yes, those clear boundaries are often markers of small societies in, in particular. And uh, I think I, I found that actually quite, quite convincing. Mm-hmm. And, but, of course, there are already, even before the storm, signs of transgressing that. I mean, one character who I think is very interesting is Kirsten, um, who becomes a kind of community leader and later on then is the one accused of yeah. witchcraft. She insists on burying her husband, herself. So and burying the dead, of yes. course, is, is yes. very much a male prerogative in, in most societies. And um, it's almost the, the opposite of giving birth. So she insists on burying her husband, but as they go fishing, 
it then also becomes clear that he has actually taught her quite yes. a lot of those yes. skills. So there was clearly a much more equal mm. relationship mm. And, mm. and some crossing over uh, between gender roles. But uh, and the, this whole theme of folk religion and you know the the old beliefs, I think that's also very common. That of course with Christianity arriving, it doesn't mean that. Uh, whatever was there before in in terms of relating to nature um you know marking those moments of birth mm. and death and um those transitions in life that 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 suddenly disappears mm. and um that there aren't those occasions when there is a need for it, and women are often of course um accused of that kind of knowledge i mean um another witchcraft or, or um which uh, a trial novel, Arthur Miller's, um, uh, sorry, a play, Arthur Miller's Crucible, um, you know, which is a comment on on his own time of the McCarthy era, uh, uh, but it's it's women initially who who are accused of having that knowledge on on the boundary of life and death uh, in a way that men never can and have that particular relationship with nature but that also happens in other societies if you went to rural Ireland or um, you know even parts of 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 England you know you'd certainly find some of those boundaries quite loose and Mm. and it's interesting in this case because it's not just that all the men are on one side and all the women on the other so there are the men and the and it's all it's all sort of filtered through the eye of the church but some of the women the the the, the church women go along with this don't they and they they sort of compete to be to be you know holy and and very much kind of obeying the rules yes and they are some of the ones who denounce the the other women who are kind of just slightly on the outside you wrote in your essay that you thought Christianity didn't come across well um, in this book, and I wondered if you could just tell us a bit more about that. Well, uh, if we look at the the role it plays within the village community, it's clearly a way in which the outside world has made its mark on the island. You know, it's not as if these are people who are living in the middle of nowhere and have never had any contact with the outside world. So the Kirke is already very well established in the village and people go to it, belong to it. There's a pastor who um, is, is part of village life and, and one of them has obviously become part of the village community and is also taken in the storm. And then another one arrives. Um, and so it's very much a gathering and, and meeting place to to start with. And we're not actually told very much about what those sermons are like or what actually what the content mm-hmm. of this is, mm-hmm. other than that they uh, go to to church. Um, but it's then put in um, in contrast with the the folk religion, and uh, while the folk the folk religion could probably exist quite happily alongside whatever form of Christianity is is being imposed there, I don't think it would work the other way around. So it very much becomes a means to control or a a way of justifying control. And it doesn't seem to be a very joyful religion. Um, uh, There seems to be very little salvation in it. It's Um, very fear-driven, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Um, And of course, that could be a stereotype. Um, It could be... Uh, limited understanding 
of, you know, it reminded me very much of some of what we find in Babette's Feast, for example, uh, where you need the contrast yes. between the very dour form of, uh, uh, of, of Christianity around uh, the pastor and the sisters and uh, the, to experience the joy of yes. uh, the feast. Um, but there's no joy. No, no. And no, no feast in there. So, you know, one way, one road one could go down is to say, well, if that's what Christianity is, wouldn't they have been better off without it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the essay, I talk about this as a form of colonialism or, or colonization, um, sort of parallel or similar to what happened in Africa and other parts of, of the world and obviously happened in, in parts of Europe too. Um, but, it's, but it's less discussed, I think, isn't yes, it? Yes. Um, the interesting things about the book. It's always yeah. the, the sort of neglected yes. um, part of, of the story. Um uh, so the question would be, would they be better off without it? Mm. Or what is the, the alternative? And of course, as, as a historian, I can't think like that. It did happen, and I can only critique um, what happened. And I think this is an attempt at critiquing and uh, this. Um, but uh, can we really think, you know, do we have an appreciation of that kind of folk mm. religion as Marin does in the mm. story, where she says, but it's just like your prayers. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so that's, it's actually totally harmless. Yes. Um, uh, but it helps some people because it's there, and, yes. and even the most pious turn to it when they uh, can't think of anything else. It's a bit like praying to St. Jude um, uh, uh, yes. as, as a last resort. Um, uh, or is this really something that needs to be driven out and stopped. Um. Yes, and what we, we know, again, from historical records, these witchcraft trials did happen and, yeah. and people were, you know, killed appallingly. And, you know, it, it does, mm. it's quite unsparing in some of the description, which, you know, I found yes. quite, you know, hard. To, it was necessary for the narrative, but really hard to um, read. I wonder, I don't want us to give away yeah. anything about the end, but do you think we are left with grounds for hope at the end or there's a slightly I think we would agree from yeah. our chat earlier there's an ambiguous ending mm -hmm. but I wonder if your overall feeling was that that was there was hope there or not well if there is it's quite well disguised mm. I mean it's not quite clear what the ending is what where Marin steps out to mm. um as she she walks away from Orsa and um from the village, I'm not entirely sure mm. uh, because these trials are so devastating, yes. and she may well find herself next on the list. I mean, Absalom has already accused her of mm. having bewitched his wife, yes. and he doesn't know the half of what yes. actually happened. Um, yes. But she's also tied, you know, there's also uh, the land is her destiny. She's so rooted in it, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, no, I, I just found myself wondering afterwards. Yeah. Let's go back and talk about some of the characters. Who were mm. the ones who have really stayed with you? Well, we've obviously got the two women, mm. uh, the two female main characters and the relationship that develops between them. In, in a sort of very beautiful way, but mm. also I couldn't help thinking, actually, this is quite 20th, 21st century as well. Um, I mean, these are two illiterate women, uh, Maren um, from Vardoe and also from Bergen, mm. who both come from you know, very restricted mm. 
circles man who's never been away who knows that she's at the mercy of of the weather and the land uh, and the sea and uh, Orsa who basically hasn't really left the house Mm -hmm. since her mother died and so there's those two then um, we've got two other female characters in the Vado community uh, or two, two other major characters Kirsten uh, who's already becoming a leader, who very much takes a role of leadership after the storm. She's described as a as a woman apart mm-hmm. um, and, and is therefore treated very much with, with suspicion, but also has a lot of shrewdness and common sense. Mm. Also independence, yes. I think. Yes. Um, that's part of the problem. Uh, that it? is part yes. of the problem. You know, she says it's the sensible thing to wear uh, yes. trousers when you're fishing, and actually these are my best trousers. Yes. And... Um, uh, but uh, she's the one who's then accused of of witchcraft mm. and, and really treated brutally. Uh, what is interesting about the witchcraft trials is um, that at the end, all the women killed, uh, the, all the men killed were Sami, mm. but mm. Uh, the women killed actually Norwegians. Yes. Um, and, and Kirsten is, is one of them. Parallel to that as, as the other independent character uh, is, there's Dina mm-hmm. um, who's Maren's sister-in-law who's giving birth relatively early on and bring her son who's from a Sami family and of course she's treated by the Norwegian women with a certain amount of suspicion but they're also quite happy to call on her yes. um, and her skills when when needed. Um, but then the gulf gets bigger doesn't it yes you know she's quite well integrated but gradually with the fracturing of the community she's she's sort of yes. eased out mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah so uh we've then got um different groups of people even within this very yeah. small island community there the Kirke women who basically want to be in the commissioner's mm-hmm. good books mm-hmm. and are spending all their time and uh, with him and uh, also, I mean he, he I think makes quite good use of them yes. um, but they're also very willing victims and then uh, the other women who gather who meet on a Wednesday yes. there's the, the Wednesday meet and uh, basically want to run uh, the or, or need to uh, to run the, the village um, and uh, or the community and support each other and and there's quite a stark contrast in the book between the female and the male characters. Mm-hmm. So the male characters, obviously, we start with Orsa's father, who I think is just overwhelmed by grief and has made some bad decisions. And makes and, another one. <laughs> and, and is about to make another yes, one. Yes. Um, he's, in a sense, the kind of man that nobody wants yeah. to be. And then um, we've got the men like um, Absalom Cornet, Orsa's husband, who comes from an island in Scotland and basically his involvement with the commission is um, is his way out of and, an and, equally and restricted let's, yes, life. Let's, let's talk about him because he's not just a monster. He is a monster. No. But I think you're absolutely right. You've touched on something important there. Yes. I mean, he talks at one point when he tells Orsa a bit more about himself. Um, he, he talks about how he went to the neighbouring island and saw a church um, and he'd never seen anything as yeah. beautiful as this. He, or at another point, he talks about his name, um, which obviously has the word shalom, peace, in it, and says actually that's what he wants. He wants to bring peace. That leads me to another question, really, which is, is his motivation, is it, is it faith, is it control, is it 
escape. I mean, it's, I'm oversimplifying, I know, but I'm wondering what it is you think that drives Absalom and drives these men to do this violence to this community. What, what's the driver? I think Absalom wants to prove himself mm. um, in a society that is bigger than the one that he has grown up in. I mean, he talks at one point about uh, that he wants five boys. Mm, um, yes. I mean, that's another thread that runs through it that, um, that also miscarries quite early on on the sea voyage after mm. after their wedding. And he then obviously wants a son, an heir, but actually he wants five sons yes. because he had four brothers. Yes. And they were the terror of the town. And yes. he describes it. So there's clearly this desire to to make a mark, to to do something, yeah. um, to please, yes. I think. Um, I mean, at one point, uh, she, I mean, there's some interesting nuances about um, Osas and, and Absalom's relationship that although he treats her in this abominable and brutal way, and he doesn't really know anything mm. else, mm. Uh, and, and I think she realises this very early on, that after she has the miscarriage, uh, she notices that he is... Uh, becoming a bit more kind, yes. but not in ways other people would notice. Yes. Um, and, and I thought that was a very interesting way of, of putting it. And yes, then he obviously is frustrated that although he's been given this commission on the grounds of his involvement in, in another witch trial, and and then also finds out that he was quite directly involved mm-hmm. in the death of the victim of, of that trial, uh, so in other words, he's murdered somebody, yes. and and he's actually quite disturbed by yes. the fact that she finds out yeah. in in this way. So he is also seeking her approval yes. because he knows he can't survive without her. There's a sort of vulnerability about him, which I yeah. thought was to the author's credit. Um, that, yes, you know, she hadn't just created you know a sort of ogre figure. Um, yes, that, you know that made him much more real. Yeah, um, and yet obviously he meets yeah. uh, an end which yes. one could either see as just desserts or as tragic. Yes, mm. yes, and I thought that was, um, that was very yeah. interesting. Um, uh, so uh, I think there's there's much more of a hierarchy among the male mm. characters, and he's obviously at the bottom of that hierarchy. There's the lensman, and he's um, desperate to to have an audience with the lensman, yes, isn't he? He thinks yes, you know, he's and bit, gets very frustrated yes. that the lensman hasn't even arrived yet. Yes. Um, uh, but then there's a third character, which is the captain mm, on yes. the ship, um, who's known also as father from before, uh, before her, her mother died, as being a guest in their house, um, and really does his best to, you know, notice her and make her feel welcome. You know, at that point, you think, well, if only, you know, <laughs> um, she could forget about Absalom um, and and run off mm-hmm. with with him but obviously that isn't uh, isn't an option but he's the one who's actually kind to her and and notices her and um uh, tries to just introduce her to the outside world and and of course he has control over his ship and yes. nobody can um can challenge that mm. and and there's this sense of she's so naive and so sheltered but she does at least see that there's an alternative doesn't she yes. in in mm. in yeah. him and this kind of tragic bit as a small detail but again I thought beautifully expressed the way that 
he's actually brought letters from her father. Yes. And, and she can't read, so Absalom has to read them and, and discards them. He burns them. them and, yeah. And, oh, just heartbreaking, really. Yeah. Um, that must have mm. been for her. Yeah. Uh, yes, and they're obviously, the, the, that is the sort of culmination of, I think, a, a number of acts of cruelty yes. of how he separates her from her family and anything that might mm -hmm. uh, mean anything to her. I mean, uh, earlier in the story, uh, there's the money that Angieta has given her and said, look, you can't go that far yes. without having a means to come back. Yes. Um, and she goes off and buys herself some boots, you know, yes. uh, 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 while they dock um, in, in Trondheim, I think. And uh, and also, you know, buys the shipmate at least some, some gloves. And then there's some money left over and he takes it off yes. her. Yeah. You yes. know, a husband should always know. So he obviously... Um, uh, you know, follows some kind of unwritten or written law. A husband should know what his wife does and what money she has. Yes, mm. it's pretty brutal stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So one of the questions you asked um, in when you in the piece yeah. that you wrote was, "Is this a feminist novel?" And um, mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it depends on what we mean by by feminism, and. It's clearly a novel about women and relationships between women. And I think what it observes very well is, um, or, or what it dispels with, is, is the myth of a peaceful um, society of, of women. But there's clearly as much hierarchy mm. and rivalry mm. between different factions of women as, as possible. I, I think what it does do is challenge this notion that there are male and female um, mm -hmm. roles and uh, tasks that can only be undertaken um, by women or by men, um, and that women must be, must be controlled. But there's also, I think you picked this up, Sarah, uh, quite a lot of imposition of 21st mm -hmm. century thought in, mm. in the novel. Uh, and and obviously and also with that kind of distance can't necessarily feel herself, you know, in, into a world that is so different. But I think, what would liberation for the women of Vardo look like? Yes, I mean, it it is so yeah. unimaginably different, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, all those decisions they're making, and that you sort of alluded to the. You didn't use this phrase, but the the you know the splintering of the, of the sisterhood or whatever. They're all yeah. under such enormous stress anyway, aren't they? Living in this this yeah. kind of edge of the world thing, and having lost all their men folk, mm. which is just devastating. That it's kind of hard to imagine anything but some splintering of the community, and it it is yeah extraordinary. Um, so it's a very yeah. rich novel, isn't it? I think there's a there's a yeah. lot in it. And I wondered, have you, have you got sort of one takeaway from it? Is there something that will linger in it for you, from it in your in your memory as you think about this book or recommend it to people? Well, I think what it does very well is name um, the lives of women who are mm. often forgotten, not just the victims of the witch craze, um, both during the Middle Ages and then um, after the Reformation, and you know these women on the edges of countries that are only just forming. Um, so I think it does that very well. In that respect, it is a, it is a feminist mm -hmm. novel. But I think also the question of what would have happened if 
the outside world hadn't arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, uh, I mean, I found it deeply moving, yes. the relationship between these two women um, that develops, uh, where I think they're both teacher and learner. Um, yes. And I think that puts an interesting yes. spin on um, the, the colonial narrative, that yeah. it's actually not just intrusion yes. from the yes. outside, but yeah. um, also as the world has been equally disturbed and yes. she's totally left out on a limb. Yes, no, I um, agree, and that was beautifully done. And I, yeah. I think I think for me it's also the the language is, is very beautiful. She does yes. write like a poet, and, and the sense yeah. of conjuring up an atmosphere I think she's particularly good at. Yes. I felt I had a glimpse into into a very very different world um you know i actually could feel as i said earlier i could feel the cold i could yeah. feel i could smell mm. the skins i could you yeah. know and then the kind of yeah just the whole extraordinary setting um so we've been talking about yeah. the mercies um which we recommend and and do look up um natalie's uh, essay um on the church times website where she's written in a bit more detail about this and before I let you go, I'm going to ask you, as I always do, to um, recommend another book you've been reading recently, Natalie, and, and tell us what it is and why you've enjoyed it. OK, thank you, Sarah. Um, this is actually another novel that's very much on the edge of the known world. Um, Emma Donoghue uh, is quite well known for um, especially Room, um, The Pull of the Stars. But this book is called Haven. And it's set in 7th century Ireland. It, it, start, it begins at the uh, monastery of Clonmacnoise. And um, a monk, or, or quite a well-known saintly person, Arch, arrives. And he has a vision that he wants to start another a community on a remote island um, with two brothers. And in his dream and his vision, these two brothers um, have appeared. So... Uh, he knows who they are and um, they set off uh, to what we now know as Skellig Michael um, an island off the coast um, with basically some very basic supplies to start a monastic community there and um, again it's beautifully described you could feel the harshness and the sheer foraging for, for life and um also the relationships between these three monks um, and, and it develops into a narrative of, of control mm. and, uh, uh, a thing that art then begins to tyrannise and, and to control his um, two uh, fellow members of, of the community and it's ends tragically well it sounds, so, it sounds fascinating it's very evocative yeah, and yes. um yeah and sounds um, totally different from room which i have to say i loved and thought was why well, i loved it was it's a it's quite a tough read but i yeah. think it was extremely powerful um so no i will look out, look out for that yeah and um, my recommendation is a very much a modern day book it's called isaac and the egg and the author is bobby palmer um, and and the opening scene, you have this man, Isaac, who's standing on a bridge, um, sort of screaming, and he hears something else scream back at him in the undergrowth. 
and and sort of struggles down to find out what this creature is. And this is this is there's no spoiler here to say this is the egg, and he decides to take this creature home. And the rest of the book is about what happens next. And it's a really bizarre and extraordinary um, read, and it's a bit of a roller coaster. You just sort of have to go with it. Um, really interesting, and it is about or informed by the author was particularly interested to write something about mental health and young men. So the the um, author is in his late twenties. The main character is in his, his main twenties, and it's about a kind of you know a breakdown and and grief and and kind of recovery. Really unusual, but I would strongly recommend it. It's, it's you know, yeah, it, it was a, a strange read, but lots in there, lots to discuss, lots to think about. So I would recommend that if you're looking for something a bit different. Thank you. You've been listening to the Church Times Books podcast with me, Sarah Merrick, and my guest today, Natalie Watson. Natalie, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.